Hello lovely listeners and welcome back to the Nutrition Nurse podcast with me Anna. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast so far. If you are I would love if you could rate the podcast so just go into the stars option and give it however many stars you think. If you could leave a review so just leave a comment that would be amazing. Any thoughts that you've got on the podcast and then if you could also share it so anyone that you think might benefit from it if you could send it to them or share on social media that would be massively appreciated. So let's get into it. We are on episode seven and today we are going to be talking about food relationship. So food relationship gets talked about quite a lot in the health and fitness space. So I just wanted to break it down a little bit and make sure that everybody you know has a better understanding of it and what we can do to best support it. So a relationship with food then is basically just how we think, feel and act about food. And each and every single one of us have a relationship with food, whether we are aware of it or not. And you have developed this relationship over your whole life and many factors will have played a part in in contributing to this relationship and what it looks like. Likewise, then, the relationship that you have with food um, will impact so many other areas of your life. So not only your health. But it, it can impact your relationships and um, your children and, and bringing the children up. It can impact your work, hobbies and um, your productivity and so, so, so much more. It's also closely linked to the relationship that we have with our bodies and how our body image is. So just like any other relationship in your life, food relationship can change over time. And there are going to be a lot of different uh, factors, a lot of different variables that will shape how your food relationship looks. And like I said, this can change throughout your life, depending on it might be, you know, that you've gone through some trauma. It might be that you have been on a diet. It might be that you are diagnosed with a a health condition, physical or mental health condition. All of these things can change your food relationship. And again, just like any other relationship, it takes work. And especially if you are someone that has struggled with your relationship with food, you are likely going to always have to implement some level of effort. Um, However, you know, we hope that this will get less and less as we improve and heal our food relationship. So when we talk about the food relationship spectrum, then what we look at is at one end of the spectrum, we have categorized eating disorders. And at the other end, we have an optimal relationship with food. And anywhere along that spectrum is an array of disordered eating habits and patterns that we can struggle with. And when we talk about eating disorders, what I mean here is the classifications of mental health conditions that are categorized as eating disorders. So these are specialist areas that require specialist input. And the healthcare professionals that work in these areas are um, specifically qualified and registered to do so. So it's not just up to any charlatan on the internet who claims to be an eating disorder specialist. They have to be qualified and, you know, appropriately um, experienced to deal with this kind of sensitive area. So obviously the overarching goal is to get to the end of that spectrum where we have an optimal relationship with food and being supported to stay in that place. How we get there and how we support individuals to get there is going to look completely different for everybody. So you might have the same disordered eating habits as somebody else, 
but you've come from completely different backgrounds or the reason that you have these disordered eating habits might be different. So the approach is going to be different. So it's really, really important. I know that I always say this all the time, but it's really important to have an individualized approach here. Yes, there are lots of techniques that we know will work and benefit your relationship with food, but when you need them and how you implement them can look completely different. And what we do know is that a poor relationship with food and a poor body image tend to come hand in hand. And they both can lead us into this revolving door of yo-yo dieting um, or, you know, this binge restrict cycle where we binge and then we punish ourselves and we over restrict and then we binge again because we're over restricting and the cycle goes on like that. There are some other things that can increase our risk of having a poor body image and a poor relationship with food, such as um, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Perimenopause and menopause can also um, have an impact on these things as well. A lot of mental health conditions, um, PMS, all of these things can have a negative impact on our relationship with food and our body. However, just because you suffer with any of these does not mean that you will develop, you know, problems with your food relationship, but they can increase the risk of it. And they are associated with people who have, you know, a poorer body image and things like that as well because of the nature of the conditions. That's not a say, though, if you have any of these conditions, it's impossible to improve your relationship with food and your body. We absolutely can do the work still and get you to a point of um, an optimal food relationship. And just before we get into how best to support your food relationship, I want to remind you all that no matter what area of life you are looking at, there are people who are out there to just make money as quick as possible. They have no consideration for what is best for your health, um, you know, supporting your food relationship, anything like that. And what I've seen a lot of lately is people using food relationship as a selling point. So they will claim that they have this, you know, two week program or a diet pill or, you know, a new diet fad that will improve your food relationship. And we know, unfortunately, that there is no quick fix. We just have to put in the work. But making small steps towards the end of the food relationship spectrum will achieve big things. And we know this can be done. There is no way of dieting your relationship with food better. So often when we are stuck in yo-yo dieting cycles or binge restrict cycles, we continue to beat ourselves up and just think that, oh, well, there's something wrong with me. So I'll just keep trying. I'll try harder or I'll try something different. Or maybe I didn't restrict enough or maybe I didn't, you know, like leave it long enough before the next binge, whatever it else, whatever it is. And we often just keep trying other things that will just worsen our food relationship. So we know that we cannot diet our food relationship better and no amount of fad or um you know quick fix is going to get us there so i've mentioned it a million times already but we're just going to look at what exactly is an optimal relationship with food and if you are someone that has never struggled with this before then you will probably just think but i don't understand is that not just normal is that just not what everybody experiences um but for so many people, this is such an alien feeling and an alien thought. Having an optimal relationship with food basically just looks like feeling indifferent about food and your overall diet. So you just see food as food. 
you are able to tune in and listen to your hunger cues you are able to win and eat for enjoyment and satisfaction you are able to overeat at times when you are enjoying food but not feel guilty or shameful about that um you are able to you know stop when you are full and listen to your satiety hormones so all of these things are deemed as having an optimal relationship with food and yes it is possible it can be possible and especially when you are in the depths of disordered eating habits i completely understand that it can feel like so so far away to get to this point with your food relationship but it is achievable especially when you have the right support in place um but you know there's so much that we can be working on day to day even if you don't have a coach there's so many techniques and support mechanisms that we know will help you to start to improve your food relationship so what can you do to best support your relationship with food I'm going to just touch on a few things here. There are obviously so many more things and we do need that individual approach. But this just gives you the option to start to do the work if you want to and look at what works best for you. It's going to be a slow process. None of this is going to happen overnight. And like I say, you know, I still do the work on my own food relationship. So I feel like the work when it comes to food relationship and body image is never complete. There is never an end point with this. And obviously, depending on things that are going on in your life will depend on how you fluctuate up and down that spectrum. The first one then is food inclusivity. So having an inclusive approach to your food, diet and overall nutrition. Getting a variety of foods in your diet not only supports your food relationship, but it supports your overall health. We know that it's essential for gut health, for getting a range of macro and micronutrients in your diet. And it is really, really beneficial. So if you do anything, start to look at what you can add to your diet instead of always focusing on what you can cut out or take away from it. One thing that I love to do is when I go in the supermarkets to do my food shop, I try and find something new to add in because I think especially, you know, with the cost of living crisis and everything else that's going on and you just get in a bit of a a bit like habitual routine with things but we tend to just go for the same things we know what works for us we know what we enjoy and it can be quite fatiguing as well to always be thinking of something new to make or you know new recipes to come up with so when you go in the supermarket just have a look around and try and pick one thing when you do your shop that is a new addition that you haven't tried before to your diet the second thing then is you telling yourself that you have unconditional permission to eat so this basically just means that you have permission to eat any food, anytime. There are no food rules around this. There are no restrictions in place. It is your choice when you have something. And what this supports you to do is in line with your values and your goals, you can decide on whether you want that food or not and whether it is going to make you feel better and be optimal for your health. And of course, there are going to be times when you choose to have a certain food for enjoyment, for you know overall satisfaction, for the experience of having it. But then there are also times when you practice with unconditional permission to eat that you decide that actually choosing a certain food it isn't what's going to best support you at that time. So you decide not to have it, but it is your choice. And this moves you away from that scarcity factor around foods and um, that overly restrictive factor around foods. So, you know, when you feel like you can't have something or you tell yourself you can't have something, we just want it more. And so it's like that big red button when we are told not to press it, all we want to do is press it. 
So having unconditional permission to eat will remove a lot of the food rules and a lot of the negative emotions that we have around food. The third thing I want to touch on is about self-compassion. And I think probably, if anything, this is one of the most important factors when it comes to our relationship with food and also the relationship that we have with ourselves. And this is something that I will do another podcast on. Self-compassion in itself is a huge topic, as is food relationship, as is body image, all of these things. But I am going to do a podcast on self-compassion and body image because I think it is such an important topic, um, especially the world that we live in today and the exposure we have to social media and, you know, a lot of other things and the way that things are put to us and marketed to us, it can have a real detrimental impact on your body image. So going back to self-compassion, we have two main types of self-compassion. We have fierce self-compassion and we have kind self-compassion. And what I mean by that is, if you, for example, say you had been unwell and you aren't able to go to the gym, you know, you've got a bad chest or something that is making you really, really need to rest and recover and stay in bed. It is not optimal for your health to go to the gym or, you know, go to work or something like that. So you have to be kind to yourself and say, no, I need to just take some time. I need to rest. And that is what is best for you. And that is you using that kind self-compassion um, to recognize what your body needs and what you need to do for your overall health. When we talk about fierce self-compassion, then it might be that you haven't been, you know, you've, you've recovered from whatever illness you've had. You haven't been to the gym for a few weeks. You don't really feel like doing anything. You, you, you're not really feeling that intrinsic motivation. You've kind of lost your way a little bit when it comes to your health and exercise journey and you don't want to do anything. And all you want to do is, you know, sit on the couch with a bar of chocolate and some crisps and not do anything. And if in that moment you ask yourself the question, is this going to make me feel better? If the answer is yes, then absolutely do that. However, it may be that you need to pull on some fierce self-compassion at that time and get yourself out for a gentle walk. Go and do some gentle exercise to get back into the rhythm of things to make yourself feel better because ultimately you know that is optimal for your health. So that's the two types of self-compassion and how we use them. And we can use these in relation to so many different things in our lives, not just our health and fitness. But definitely when it comes to nutrition, it is a really, really good thing to practice because asking the question, is this going to make me feel better, will always support your optimal health. And when you do this, you are more likely to make decisions that benefit you and that serve you instead of making decisions that, you know, may not be in your best interests or may make you feel worse in the moment. So the final thing that I just want to touch on is the concept of food neutrality. And basically what this is, is the idea that food holds no moral value. So there is no good food. There is no bad food because when we put labels like this on food and we have certain things like cheat meals or, you know, um, we have this perception that um, healthful foods are good or, you know, processed foods are bad, then we automatically associate a certain emotion to that. Because, you know, in life, when things are bad, that is not a, a positive, we don't have a positive um, perception of that. Just like cheating, cheating is an inherently bad thing. 
So when we talk about food and cheating, then we are automatically going to have a negative perception of that. And this then will stick to that food. So it might be that you say to yourself, right, well, I'm never going to eat cake, for example, um, because it's a bad food. So every time you have cake, you are going to feel bad. You're going to feel shameful about it. You're going to feel guilty about it. You may well do it in secret because you feel like it's a food that doesn't belong in your diet. But as soon as we remove these food labels and know that, you know, all of those foods are equal and you can feel neutral about it and indifferent about them, then food is there and it's just there for our enjoyment, for our satiation, for our satisfaction. And you can take it or leave it. And this is so, so important because we know that when it comes to our mindset and support and behavior change, your subconscious conditioning will determine your thinking. And then your thinking will determine your decisions and your decisions will determine your actions. And then eventually these will determine your outcomes. So how we think and feel about things will then impact the decisions and the actions that we take in relation to those thoughts and feelings. And we have control over that. So we can't control you know, external factors. We can't control what someone else is doing or thinking or how they're acting, but we can control that about ourselves. So by starting to change the way that you talk about foods and removing those food labels and practicing with food neutrality will have a huge impact on your overall diet and your relationship with food. And I just want to finish on a little reminder. So if you are doing the work on your food relationship and you are on that journey, um, you know, to an optimal food relationship, it's really, really important to again practice with that self-compassion because the likelihood is is that the behaviors that you have practiced for so so long that are ingrained in your brain neural pathways you know that it's so so easy for your brain to go to and just do those behaviors often on autopilot we want to try and break the cycle of that and that is why we practice a lot of the techniques um that i do with clients but it is really really important to be kind to yourself because the chances are that you will still have occasions where you practice some of those disordered eating habits. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you are broken. There is nothing wrong with you. It is just the process. And I often liken it to the scale weight. So when we weigh ourselves every single day, if we are, you know, aiming for weight gain or weight loss, whatever it is, the scale will not be the same every single day, but we still can be on a, a forward tra trajectory to the goal that we want to achieve. And it's like a food relationship. We just can't see it. And people can find it really difficult when they are working on their food relationship because there is no visible end goal. It's not like you have, you know, a goal weight or you have a job that you're going to apply for at the end of it. There isn't a measurable goal apart from how you feel. And to me, in coaching, they are the most powerful um, and rewarding points to support people to get in their life. It's what people benefit from the most when they feel better. But it is the, one of the most difficult to measure because, like I say, there is not an end point. So I hope this has been helpful. I would love, like I said at the start, if you could rate, review and share the podcast. And please feel free to get in touch if there is anything that I can help you with or you would like to hear any other topics. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode.